Who says the Bible has to be boring? On the contrary, the Bible is the most thrilling book in the world. It's the only book with an invitation to join the very narrative you are reading. My goal is to be like your time-traveling tour guide, taking you into an exploration of scripture in search of precious treasure. Timeless, life-giving truths that inform us of who God is, who we are, and how the story of everything really is His story. I invite you to join me as we learn to read the story, trust the story, and live the story, because there's no greater adventure than knowing the God of the Bible. I'm Brayden Brookshire, and this is Adventures in Theology. You know the white lines on the freeway that divide the lanes? Well, recently I was driving with my wife, her sister, and sister's husband, and out of nowhere, one of them threw out this question, and I'm going to ask it to you. How many feet do you think each white line is? So I stared out the window as we passed by, trying to compare them to maybe the size of the cars. And I really didn't know. It was hard to guess. But I thought I'd provide a generous answer. Uh, Six feet? I conjectured. And to my great surprise, the answer was not six, seven, eight, or even nine feet. Each white line we passed by so quickly on the freeway was 10 feet long, according to industry standard. And I was shocked. I still didn't believe it, even when I confirmed it on Google, which, of course, Google can't confirm everything as factually true. But yeah, and I kept staring out the window for a while on that drive, and I'll never forget that answer. That is 10 feet each. Because I wondered how my perception of reality could be so far off. Our perspective of how we view things no matter what it is, is shaped by many things. Our past, our influences, those around us, our habits, our beliefs, etc. And we become so convinced in our heads that our perspective is infallible. And it's not us who need to recalibrate, but the world around us needs to. And hey, I'll even give you the benefit of the doubt. That could sometimes be true. However, like being confronted by the actual size of the lines on the freeway, We all may need a perspective change in our spiritual life to be reoriented, recalibrated to reality. But maybe that's much more grand than just understanding the lines on the freeway. And today we'll see Joshua having an encounter so divine that it radically reorients and realigns his perspective. Joshua is going to have a holy moment, one that bears resemblance to Moses, his mentor's famous burning bush moment. The Israelites have recently crossed over the Jordan and they're on Jericho's territory. Some events have transpired and it's nearing the time for them to go to battle against Jericho. And at this point, all the hype and talking about and being pumped about what's to come, uh, emotionally, you probably start to feel the weight of what is actually happening. Your nation, your people, and yourself are going to face the enemy. People who want to kill you. And Joshua, being the leader that he is, probably began to feel that pressure as the leader of these people. And so the text we're about to read makes it seem like he's all alone. Perhaps he intentionally went somewhere to be alone. But knowing Joshua's character, he probably didn't get away to be alone for loneliness sake. He probably went off to be alone to go seek guidance from God. I imagine Joshua prayed the prayer of his mentor. Moses, requesting what was said in Exodus 33:15, which said, 
if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. I bet he prayed that many times. And you know what? I bet we should pray that. That if God, if your presence does not go with us, don't send us from here. Don't send us into this next thing, this next season, this next, uh, if you want to call it like assignment or mission or whatever God has for you, whatever he's calling you to do. Don't send us into that if you're not going to be with us. So what happens next here is another event in which Joshua would never forget. So let's read. We're in Joshua chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 13 and we're going to read through the first part of verse 14. Join me. When Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua approached him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? No, he replied. I have now come as the commander of the army of the Lord. And this is kind of funny. So Josh was taking a stroll, or at least it seems, and looking upward, probably from the massive stature of this being, he approaches the mysterious being, noticing he is dressed for war and has a sword drawn for battle. And that's, there's an obvious question here. The one that he asks, I mean, you, you're on enemy territory and you see this giant figure who might be hovering or just might be really tall, so that's why he has to look up to him. And it's a valid question. Are you for us or for our enemies? I would want to know that too. Do I need to pull out my sword and get ready to battle you? Uh, <laughs> what's going on? Seems like a legit, legitimate question to me. And what happens next is quite strange. <laughs> Most translations translate the first word, or not most, actually, only a few, so this is not the predominant translation, but some translations translate the first word of this uh, figure's answer as neither, and maybe yours says something like that, or none, or neither, but the translations that really get it right, and according to the Hebrew, it literally says no. The answer is no, and have you ever been in a situation where uh, you ask a question and the person almost like avoids the question? It kind of feels like that. Um, you know, here's a silly example of that. Do you want In-N-Out or Chick-fil-A for dinner? No. Well, that wasn't one of the options. I gave you two options. You said no. <laughs> and so no, what do you mean no? Like you're okay. You're not our enemy. Sure. I get that, but you aren't for us. And this could be disheartening for Joshua, but this was not the commander of the Lord's army saying, I am not on your side. Rather, this is him saying, no, you have the wrong question. Try again. Have you ever asked a question only to get an odd answer? And in that moment, you discovered that you're actually asking the wrong question? One skill set in life is being able to learn the art of asking not only good questions, but the right questions. When you ask the right questions, you get the right answers. And if you ask the wrong questions, you will either end up confused or get the wrong answers. An example of this could be when tragedy strikes. We usually ask the question of why. Why is this happening? And I'll be completely honest, I'm in some circumstances in life where I'm not overly thrilled with some of them. And I am asking that question. I find myself uh, resonating with this truth that I might be asking the wrong question. I'm asking why is this happening, but what if that is the wrong question to be asking? Something to think about. And one of the fundamental methods and even mentalities when approaching the study of scripture and even life as a whole involves starting with questions instead of assumptions. 
We come into so many situations with assumptions. So Joshua did the right thing with at least starting with a question. But we must learn not only to ask a question or good questions, but the right questions. For there we find the answers we need. So back to the discussion. Joshua's concern was seeing if this impressive figure who looked ready for war was on his side. Are you for us? Are you for Israel? And the figure simply answered, no. Wrong question. You see, it's not about if this being is on Joshua's side, especially when he reveals his identity as the commander of the Lord's army. It's more about discerning if Joshua is on the heavenly commander's side. That's whose team he needs to be on. You cannot manipulate God to join your team. You can only make sure you are on his side. And we ought to always align ourselves with God's agenda. So let's read all of verses 13 through 15, which is where we're focusing today, because it becomes clear that Joshua now learns to ask the right question based on his response. So let's read it again. When Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua approached him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? No, he replied. I have now come as the commander of the army of the Lord. Then Joshua bowed with his face to the ground in worship and asked him, What does my Lord want to say to his servant? The commander of the army of the Lord said to Joshua, Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Ah, yes. Joshua gets it. And did you notice it? Joshua's question shifts from, are you for us, essentially to, what are your orders for me to carry out? Asking the right question means, well, worship and fully surrendering to the will of God. And recognizing that this is the captain of the Lord's army, the captain of Israel then becomes a soldier ready to take orders and submit to him. Joshua's response is an act of reverential worship. And it's, and it's not until we take our place as a servant that God takes his place as our Lord. Joshua was reminded that he was second in command, second only to heaven's warrior king. So he falls on his face in worship. Now, a red flag might be triggered for you, as you might say, wait, you can't worship anyone other than God. So why is Joshua doing that? And I would say, true, Joshua's reaction of worship is worship. He's worshiping this being. But there's clues in the text that reveal that the identity of this mysterious celestial commander who he's standing before is not a man, as the text first alluded to, or even a mere angel. I would say that this is Yahweh, the God of Israel, manifest before Joshua. And in the scholarly realm, we call this a theophany. A theophany is when God manifests himself uh, before people. And so a theophany could take many shapes. Sometimes uh, God can manifest himself like he does in front of Abraham in uh, Genesis. And he does so appearing just as a man, as a normal guy, as a kind of in disguise normal dude. And then there are times in the Bible where God manifests himself like as this divine warrior. And so, yeah, it doesn't mean that's exactly how God looks. That's not the point. But God is... Yahweh is manifesting himself before Joshua. So how do I know this? I want to make sure that you know that this is not just my conjecture. And then we'll move on to the real main point of why this even this episode even exists for today. But first, let's get to this. So Moses in Exodus 3 and Joshua 
and Joshua 5, both have an encounter with Yahweh that starts out with something obscure and perplexing. Moses first saw a burning bush that burned without being consumed by the flame, which is weird. We would probably be curious about that too. And the narrator says that the angel of Yahweh went into the bush. And yet no one would debate it was absolutely Yahweh, the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who met with Moses during his holy ground moment. If you read Exodus 3, especially verses 1 through 15, you'll see what I mean as Yahweh reveals his name and his identity to Moses in that encounter. It's definitely Yahweh. No one debates that. Now, years later, Joshua sees an impressive figure with a sword drawn, ready for war. And then upon hearing the figure speak, he knew it was Yahweh. And this is important, for he had heard Yahweh's voice before. He recognized the voice of his Lord. And he falls on his face in worship before his Lord. Like his mentor Moses, Joshua had his own holy ground moment in which he met his maker through a theophany. The same person that was in the burning bush was standing before Joshua and said the same thing as was said to Moses. Take off your sandals, for the ground you're standing on is holy. And then Joshua offers worship to this being. And so another reason I have a hard time accepting this to be merely some sort of angel is because everywhere else in the Bible, angels reject the worship of people and redirect people to worship God alone. They'll say, don't worship me, worship God alone. And yet in Joshua 5, the heavenly warrior king accepts the worship, or at least doesn't do any sort of hint to reject it, and offers Joshua a holy ground moment all his own. If you keep reading into in the first few verses of Joshua chapter 6, which is a continuation of this conversation, the text switches it over to clearly being Yahweh. Joshua 6.2 says, you know, Yahweh said to Joshua, like, this couldn't be any more clear. And who better to be called the commander of the Lord's army than Yahweh himself? But let's continue in Joshua 5.15, the main verse I really want to focus on for today's episode. Cool? Joshua 5.15, we already read this, but let's read it again. So the commander of the army of the Lord said to Joshua, Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Yahweh. Joshua's commander commands Joshua to remove his sandals. And when we read the text slowly and start with questions, we'll probably wonder, what's the big deal with being barefoot? What do you think? Maybe it's a good moment to pause this episode and actually think before I just tell you what I have researched and come to know and understand about this. But what do you think? What's the big deal with being barefoot? So here's the thing. The removal of shoes in that day And their understanding had a ritual, religious significance. To be barefoot was a sign of reverence. And so Moses and Joshua were commanded to remove their sandals when on holy ground in the presence of a manifestation of God, which made the surrounding place uh, that they were on holy, set apart sacred. And sandals that have been contact with common ground must not be brought into contact with sacred ground. What they're wearing in the common ground cannot be brought into the sacred ground. It's symbolic, but deeply meaningful. And I want to explain that to you. Have you ever had a moment with God so sacred? It was like you were in a pocket of heaven on earth. A moment that was so tranquil, you knew with all of your heart, God was with you in an extra special way in that moment. A moment that could only be summarized as holy. 
And it doesn't have to look like Joshua's or anything like that. You know what I'm talking about if you've experienced that. And I do pray that we experience these. I pray that they happen not just once in our life, but occasional and maybe frequently. But not so we venerate these moments and even worship the feelings behind them, but like we talked about last week, to create for us concrete memories in which we could hold on to as life-transforming encounters that increase our loyalty and love to our God. And here's the connection to today. There are going to be times, whether frequent or infrequent, where God will invite you to take off your sandals metaphorically to come experience a holy moment with him. And the taking off the sandals language is representative of exiting the common perception of life to enter the divine reality. By removing the sandals of our common experience, metaphorically, we're ready to vulnerably embrace and enjoy the holy moment. It's too profound and too powerful a moment to allow the sandals that endure the ordinary to distract you from being present. And what comes from that holy moment is entirely up to God. But typically the intention has something to do with preparation for something difficult that lies ahead. And these are the times that we need a shift in our perspective. We need to be reoriented to the true reality. Now for Joshua and even for us, sometimes the moment is more important than the message. Sometimes just basking in that holy moment is more valuable for our souls than gleaning a specific word to walk away with. Yahweh promised Joshua that he would be with him. The divine warrior king would go before him. And for that truth to set in, God gracefully provided Joshua an experience of a lifetime. Joshua got to see the warrior side of God. As Exodus 15:3 says, Yahweh is a warrior. Yahweh is his name. And when Joshua realized who he was standing before, his whole perspective changed. His mindset was entirely recalibrated. The commander of Yahweh's army had not come to take sides. You know, his question was, are you for us or for our enemies? The commander of the Lord's army did not come to take sides. He came to take control. Yahweh was no longer coming. Yahweh was here and before him. So what did he do? He dropped on his face and worship, prostrate in front of heaven's warrior king. He falls down in worship, in fear and respect, but also in adoration. Wouldn't you? I would. Now really pay attention here because this whole episode is built up to what I want to communicate even now. The main reason for this incredible encounter is to remind Joshua that this is not Joshua's battle for Joshua's name's sake. This is Yahweh's battle for his own name's sake. The book of Joshua is only about Joshua on a surface level, but beneath the surface, it's in even a more true reality. The book of Joshua is about heaven's warrior king coming out to battle the gods of these evil nations. For the next couple hundred years, Yahweh will step on the throat of Moloch, Baal, and Asherah, and all these demonic gods who are destroying the Lord's good world, and even his trying to thwart God's redemptive plan to redeem people. And while God goes to war in the spiritual realm, Joshua goes and battles the people who have willingly submitted themselves to these demonic gods. 
the Lord as the divine warrior was making a point that he is the one true God and he has no rival. Don't misunderstand it. There are, there was, and there are dark, powerful spiritual forces behind the pagan gods of then and even now, but they do not stand a chance against him. And God is making that point. So the conquest on a surface level looks like Israel versus the other nations. However, like the story of Exodus, it's more accurately understood as a battle of the gods. <laughs> Yahweh, the one true God, versus these false demonic gods of these nations. And provocatively, sometimes the battle is the only ground in which Yahweh can demonstrate his power and sovereignty over the heavens, the realm of the spiritual beings, and the earth, the realm of human beings. And in their mindset, in ancient Jewish theology, what goes on upon the earth has a spiritual parallel in the heavens. One is visible, one is invisible to us. And this warrior king, Yahweh himself, as the captain of heaven's army, is going to battle in the spiritual realm. And he reveals to Joshua that, Joshua, this is not your battle. You may be asking me if I'm on your side. That's the wrong question. Because the truth is, this is my battle. And the real question is, are you on my side? That's why Joshua gets it. And he flips his question and says, what does my Lord say to his servant? And in Joshua 6, what we'll uh, talk about next week is we'll see how this commander gives Joshua the battle plan against Jericho. But all this that I'm saying here probably sounds too dramatic and even too much like mythology for us 21st century Americans to take seriously. But like Joshua, we need to reorient our mindset that the battle belongs to the Lord. And like what we covered in episode number two of this podcast, God knows when to say enough is enough and to draw his sword from his sheath. 400 years of atrocities that the nations of the land were living in blatant rebellion to God's desired way to rule his world that he created. Years of dark sorcery, orgies for the sake of pleasing the gods, murdering one another under the motivation of preventing a bad omen, bestiality causing sickness among humans and animals alike, grown men taking sexual advantage of young boys, Hundreds of thousands of infants being burned to ashes on the furnace-like arms of Moloch. The bronze idol designed as a functional furnace would burn helpless infants placed on its arms, but not so quickly, because the Canaanites believed that the screams of agony from the burning baby made Moloch laugh in delight. And all of these I just mentioned were acts of worship in the Canaanite religion. It's sickening to think about. And you can research it yourself. This is something uh, historians and scholars know. Christian or not, this is what they all know about the ancient Canaan religion. And so the Lord finally drew his sword and declared war. And while some of us might have a problem with the conquest in Joshua, I'd rather have a problem with how long it took. God is far more patient than I would have been. But he knows when to say enough is enough. He knows when it's time to draw his sword. And I know today ha- today's episode had a little bit of heaviness to it. There's this lighthearted brevity of, you know, encountering God in these holy moments and when we're invited into holy ground and how transformational that can be, creating a concrete memory for us that we'll never forget, uh, d- having a moment that we get lost 
in what I would consider an eternal moment, a a moment that transcends time itself, where you enter and be totally present before your Lord, where nothing else matters, where you take off your sandals metaphorically and leave what is common, leave the ordinary behind to enter the divine reality, to enter what is maybe even more true and transcendent about life, to have a moment with the Lord your God. I pray for those moments. But then in this text too, we can't ignore that at least for Joshua, his moment had a very specific intention around it. It was to prepare him, prepare him for what's to come. And for Joshua, he was in a real and literal war where there was divine judgment happening on these nations. Judgment that was definitely just. And but I want to end today's episode with this thought. And we find this to be true in the whole Bible. God would much rather go on a conquest of winning hearts than of wrecking nations. I want to say that again. God would much rather prefer going on a conquest of winning hearts to himself than of wrecking nations in judgment. But sometimes humanity's wickedness opposes God in his redemptive plan for all people to the point of, prov- of provoking warfare forcing the merciful God to draw his sword, forcing heaven's warrior king to come out and do battle. So what do we leave with today? What do we leave thinking with? How is maybe our own experience reoriented in light of what we talked about? Simply this, that in life, there is a true spiritual reality going on. Behind all the physical wars of what we see, there is a real spiritual reality, spiritual warfare going on. But ultimately, the whole battle belongs to the Lord. And God is not passive in what is going on in life. He is participating in like how this heavenly warrior king comes to tell Joshua, I'm not only on your side, uh, wrong question, I'm coming to take control. I believe that God is still in control today. He has come in and through the person of Jesus Christ, who is Yahweh incarnate, not to take sides, but to take control. And as Christians, we submit to our Lord Jesus. We submit to him, and we now become participants in his plan. We ask him, what does my Lord say to his servant? How can we play a role in your redemptive story? And usually, receiving that message comes from entering holy moments holy ground moments where we are not distracted, holy ground moments where it's by invitation only, by we maybe posture ourselves to be ready for a moment like that, but in which God comes to us in a special, profound way. We bask in that and we get a message in which we know how we need to live out our life. And I'm not trying to, you know, super spiritualize everything. We have the word, we have the Bible, and that is totally sufficient. But at the same time, I am saying that God's Holy Spirit is leading and guiding us. Guiding us to, uh, even why I call this podcast Adventures in Theology, guiding us to live out the adventure of faith. So what will you do? Will you be ready to receive an invitation into a holy ground moment? Will you be ready to metaphorically take off your sandals and enter that moment? But more importantly, will you be ready to then obey the word of the Lord and what he has for you. What he has for you and playing a part in his redemptive story.
What's going on, guys? Quick announcement, two things. First off, if you're liking the podcast, that's so cool. And share it with your friends. Tell more people about it. Word of mouth goes a long way, and we're trying to get the word out as much as we can in as many ways as we can. Second thing, in a few weeks after we're done with Joshua, I think we have about four or five or six weeks, something like that left. Uh, afterwards, we're going to be starting a series on the subject and topic of heaven, afterlife, eternity, new creation. Uh, what is this hope that Christians have? And what is the theology behind it? What does this mean? What's the Bible have to say about this topic? Uh, so if you have questions that you want answered during that series, let me know. Message me directly on Instagram at Braden Brookshire. I'm the only one I think on there. So message me your questions. I want to make sure we include those when we go through that series. It's going to be really good. Already getting started on the planning. So uh, as always, thanks for listening in. We'll see you next time.